0: Welcome to the Think Orange podcast where we want to encourage and equip leaders just like you who are investing in the faith and future of the next generation. My name is Trey McKnight. I'm your host. And in this season of the podcast, we're talking about what it means to be more human and lead humans in the tension. And we are so excited for you to listen to this message from Orange Conference by Matthew Duprez about how to leverage the potential of grandparents in your church. Matthew Duprez is currently on staff at Generations Church. Prior to that, he was on staff at the Fuller Youth Institute where he helped train church leaders. Matthew holds a master's degree in family ministry and has over 15 years of ministry experience as an ordained minister in the Wesleyan Church and is the author or co-author of multiple books. Matthew lives in Colorado with his wife, Megan, and their two sons, and we cannot wait for you to get to learn from him. So, let's dive right in. Hey,
1: everybody. My name is Matthew DePrez, and you are watching The Breakout for Leveraging the Potential of Grandparents. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Real quick, I want to introduce you to my family. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Megan, for almost 15 years, and then we have an 11-year-old and a 6-year-old, Isaiah and Silas, who we actually adopted from Uh, birth. We're super passionate about adoption. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about grandparents, and my passion actually stems from research that's been done on intergenerational ministry. So, I pastored for a really long time, and for a few years, I worked full-time at the Fuller Youth Institute, and the Fuller Youth Institute's Sticky Faith Research actually shows the importance of intergenerational ministry. And what uh, the Sticky Faith study did uh, with the Fuller Youth Institute was they looked at 13 different youth group participation variables and how that translated into uh, basically whether or not young people stuck with faith. And what they found was that the number one variable for a young person sticking with faith was actually intergenerational relationships. Now, there's no silver bullet there. It's not like, hey, if you have an intergenerational relationship, it means that you're going to have, you know, a young person's going to stick with faith. But the, the idea that intergenerational relationships was the number one variable is a really big deal. And so I started asking the question after having done a bunch of research on intergenerational ministry on my own hey, what happens if you look at the familial context? What happens if you actually look at family? H- how might family uh, translate in the intergenerational sense? And uh, and so I started doing a bunch of research on parents and grandparents. Uh, Diana Garland uh, wrote this book called Family Ministry, and, and what she says in her book uh, is that the Roman Catholic Church has referred to the family as the domestic church. That is, that the family is not merely like the church, but truly, is the church. When families participate in certain things, or you read the Bible together, or you pray together, or uh, you experience faith together, it's 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 really. The church in action, and so I started asking the question: Well, how, how does how do the church and families kind of interact together? And and I would say that the old model for churches has been that churches teach and parents reinforce. You know, it's it's the old model has been well, the church teaches from up front, or your youth ministry or your children's ministry teaches from up front, uh, and then parents, you just reinforce the things that we're teaching at home. We're the professionals in the church world. But instead of that old model, I would actually say a a newer, better model would be that families teach and the church reinforces. So how can we as church leaders actually become the resources for families so that families actually feel educated and equipped and empowered to be able to teach their kids or their grandkids? Uh, The idea of faith transmission from one generation to the next is All throughout the Bible. I mean, you can read scripture after scripture after scripture on the importance of what it means to pass on faith from one generation to the next. And so I started getting really interested in grandparenting. And I ended up conducting this study um, over the course of a few years where we interviewed um, 486 grandchildren. Um, And we did the grandchild's perspective uh, because a lot of studies had been done on the grandparents' perspective, but we actually couldn't find a study that was done from the grandchild's perspective and not the grandparent's perspective. Um, And so uh, we did this study, and uh, we actually were looking at whether or not geographic proximity shaped faith for grandchildren and specifically whether or not geographic proximity uh, would shape whether or not a grandchild would actually share the same faith as their grandparent. Now, when we were doing the study with these 486 people, they had no idea that we were actually looking at proximity. We didn't want people to you know, uh, cloud their answers or shape their answers around the idea of proximity. So we asked a simple question at the end based upon how far did you live away from your grandparents when you were growing up? Um, and we took those answers and did all of this research um, uh, based, upon, uh, based upon proximity. Um, so before we get into some of the research that or some of the things that we found in our study, uh, I want to talk about a few things with grandparents that are uh, pretty important for us to be processing. Uh, first of all is that there are some significant changes that are actually happening with the grandparent-grandchild relationship. First is that there is a significant growth that's happening uh, with in-home caretakers, um, with grandparents being the in-home caretakers of grandchildren. Now, there's probably a bunch of sociological reasons as to why that's actually happening, but that is on the rise significantly, especially in the last 20 years or so. Another one is that medical advances are actually increasing life expectancy, and so grandparents are living longer than ever before. They're having relationships with their grandchildren and their children for longer than ever before. And the other thing that's a really big deal that shapes the conversation that we've been looking at with proximity is that digital technology is more accessible than ever before. Um, Boomers are more comfortable than ever with technology as an older adult. And my, my, my parents, my kids' grandparents, went out and bought an iPad so that they could FaceTime with their grandkids. And so boomers are more comfortable with technology than ever before. So those are some of the changes that are actually happening with grandparents that's a big deal. Uh, Another really, really big deal for grandparents is that grandparents care a lot about what it means to leave a legacy. Thoughtful grandparents, uh, grandparents who are followers of Jesus, want to leave a legacy for those who are younger. Uh, And and there's a a book that was actually written, a woman named Lillian Penner, actually, she suggests that the following questions are central to um, faith with grandparents and grandchildren uh, today. Maybe these are some of the questions that grandparents need to be asking, Uh, is my walk with the Lord, uh, what I want reflected in the lives of my grandchildren. So, modeling questions. Uh, Do I want my grandchildren to imitate my spiritual life? Will they want Jesus? What kind of memories will my grandchildren remember when I pass away? And will my love for God keep on living through my grandchildren even after I'm deceased? I think those are a lot of really good questions as it relates to grandparents wanting to leave a legacy. Uh, Another big. Thing that grandparents are really, really interested in is kind of, kind of the idea of grandparents and storytelling. Uh, grandparents are storytellers. And I'm a storyteller, but I'm younger, right? It's a different kind of storytelling. Uh, grandparents are one of the only people who, who you, you, you allow for them to repeat the same stories over and over and over and over again. Like, I wouldn't dare shut down my grandfather when he was alive from some of the questions or some of the stories that he would actually Share like their storytelling matters. Um, Stephen Bly in his book, um, he actually said that grandparents bridge the abyss between the facts of history books and the news of today. They have this perspective that they've been around a long time and and, and longer than grandchildren have been alive, obviously. And they have this ability to be able to tell these stories and bridge what happens in history with the news that's actually occurring today. And so grandparents and storytelling is a big deal. Uh, Grandparents are in a very unique role uh, that uh, I would say parents just can't be in. Uh, One is uh, that it's, I I would say that grandparents is the only relationship that exists that's natural, that is two generations removed from each other. Uh, You know, in our intergenerational research, we, we see the importance of it, but oftentimes it can be a little clunky and a little awkward, but grandparents oftentimes just have a very natural relationship Two generations removed from each other with their grandchild, and that makes a, that makes the relationship very, very unique. Grandparents who are retired uh, are often less hurried and less busy and have more focused time than parents even do. You know my life is really, really busy right now i'm working there's a lot of things going on um, and and but my my parents and my in-laws they're all retired and they have less hurried time that they can spend with their grandkids, and they do it digitally, we don't live near them, Um, but they aren't as hurried as parents are, and so grandparents can step into a really unique role. And then another one uh, is that my my old boss, Kara Powell, at the Fuller Youth Institute, she would say that grandparents are simply more immune to conflict with teenagers than parents are, and I think that is really, really important. Uh, Now, that changes when a grandparent is an in-home caretaker of a grandchild, and it's because the grandparent moves into a little more of a disciplinary role, but when the grandparent is the, isn't the disciplinarian, uh, there's a really unique relationship that exists that, like, conflict just doesn't happen in the same way uh, as a parent-child relationship does. Uh, And so some of those are some of the things that I think are really key as we talk about grandparents and look at grandparenting and some of what's happening uh, with older adults today. Uh, Getting into some of the research that I conducted, um, we were, I I mentioned that our research was specifically looking at whether or not geographic proximity mattered. Do grandparents and grandchildren need to live close to each other in order for them to share the same faith? And what I would say is that proximity matters, a lot actually, Uh, but proximity actually doesn't matter in the, the way that I thought it would. If you were to ask me, as I'm putting on my research hat, a researcher hat, uh, w- what are some of the biases that you have? One of the main biases that I would I had going into our research project was that if you live close to your grandparent, you uh, the grandchild is more likely to share the same faith as their grandparent. And what we actually found was that it was a variance of less than 2% um, of whether or not a grandparent lived uh, 10 miles from their grandchild or 1,000 or more miles from their grandchild. So proximity didn't necessarily matter in terms of sharing the same faith like I expected, but it did seem to shape whether or not, or or the the spiritual maturity of the grandchild. And so we created this scale, it's really nerdy language, but it was called the Grandparent Grandchild Faith Formation Scale. And we were specifically looking at, uh, we were specifically looking at spiritual maturity of grandchildren. Um, And so we created this scale. And so what we were looking at was, how does faith maturity uh, actually intersect with this grandparent grandchild relationship and not just specifically sharing the same faith uh, and so proximity didn't seem seem to shape whether or not the grandchild would share the same faith as their grandparent but significantly significantly had increases in spiritual maturity of the grandchild if they lived within 50 miles and the reason why we chose 50 miles was because we considered that a day trip like you could if they you know you weren't living in the same town maybe but uh, if it was within 50 miles you could see your grandparents in a day and then be back at your house and so within 50 miles Miles seemed to be a, a deal-breaker. Now, I am not suggesting that grandparents should, sh- should sell their home if they live more than 50 miles from their grandchild. I think it just requires a lot more intentionality. And the good news is, is that digital means or uh, the digital accessibility is actually really helpful there. Uh, so a couple of things um, that uh, we found was that uh, if you lived within 50 miles of, a grand, uh, of, of your grandchild or a grandparent lived uh, that close to a grandchild, there was a 25% increase in relational closeness. Now. Are you saying that you paid all of this money to come to Orange to to really hear that if you live close to your grandchild, you are likely to be re- more relationally close? And what I'm telling you is yes. Like, that's, that's literally what I'm actually telling you. Uh, but it doesn't mean that you have to live specifically that close because of the digital, uh, because of digital technology. Uh, so there's this, there's this. Uh, there's this A guy named Lev Vygotsky, who's a developmentalist from 1978, and he coined this phrase, the zone of proximal development. And what he actually talks about is that um, as a developmentalist, he actually says that in order for a child to develop properly. They need to have adults around them who have mastered the task that they're trying to learn ahead of them. And so that child, uh, the younger person, actually needs developmentally older people who have already mastered that task ahead of them. Now, he's talking about everyday things like auto body mechanics or whatever. But when you start putting it in the spiritual context, the zone of proximal development actually matters a lot. Because what a grandchild needs is they need a modeled faith. They need someone who's ahead of them in the journey, who who has already mastered certain tasks that maybe they're trying to learn. And so the zone of proximal development matters a lot in terms of spiritual formation. Um, And uh, and so proximity matters in this study um, in all sorts of different ways. So Lev Vygotsky would say that the zone of proximal development is actually a phase of development where a child has only partially mastered a task, but can participate in its execution with the assistance And supervision of an adult, and specifically of an adult who has mastered that task ahead of them. So, let me talk about some different tasks that that can be mastered by a grandparent that we actually found in our study that were significant indicators in the rise of spiritual maturity for their grandkid. One was Bible reading grandparents grandparents who read their Bible, but specifically it's that grandparents who read their Bible and their grandchildren actually witnessed them reading their Bible seemed to actually shape uh, faith maturity for that grandchild. Now, the problem problem with the way we read the Bible is that we read the Bible— by ourselves oftentimes. We literally have a phrase that's like, we need to get alone with God or time alone with God, or we need to get into our prayer closet or whatever you want to call it. And and the idea is, is that we get away so that we can read scripture. But what we found was that it was actually the witnessing of the grandchild watching the grandparent read the Bible or interact with scripture that actually mattered. It wasn't that they knew their grandparent read the Bible. It was that they saw them actually do it. Uh, And so I remember when I was finishing up my research, uh, my mother-in-law, Debbie, she flew in to watch our kids because my wife and I were flying to uh, Hawaii. I was speaking at a church in Honolulu. And my uh, my mother-in-law said, hey, you just finished up this big project on grandparents. What is one thing that I can do while I'm watching the kids and you're away? And I said, put your Bible down on the coffee table and just have it visible in front of them the entire time we're gone, I'm just curious to see what the conversations are like. And so we got back and my mother-in-law Debbie said, you wouldn't believe the conversations that I had with our oldest at the time, Isaiah, who was old enough to interact with, uh, with my mother-in-law in this way. But he was asking questions about the Bible because he literally just saw the Bible sitting there. And, and this actually brings me up to, uh, brings I think an important point out that I read the Bible on my phone. I read, uh, read version, and I love the version app. But when I'm I'm buried in my phone and I'm actually reading scripture, my kids actually don't know that I'm reading scripture. And so I would argue that while I'm a huge proponent of technology, reading a physical Bible is actually really, really important in this case so that, your, so that grandkids can actually see modeled grandparents reading scripture in front of them. The other thing that was interesting was that we actually found that uh, just because a grandparent reads the Bible and a grandchild sees them do it, it didn't necessarily translate into the grandchild reading more of the Bible. And we'll talk a little more about how grandparents shape grandchildren, um, but here are some of the indicators, some of the things that we actually found were increases in uh, increases in spiritual maturity. There was a thirty percent. If you're a Bible reading grandparent, there was a thirty percent increase in grandparents hugging and telling their grandchildren they love them if they consistently read the Bible. There was a twenty five percent increase in relational closeness, a thirty percent increase in having faith related discussions, and a twenty two percent increase in actually sharing the same faith as your grandparent. And so. One of the things when I was uh, working through the study and I was publishing the study uh, and it was going through peer review is I was thinking what would happen if we offered close proximity tips and faraway proximity tips. So if you live close, do these things. If you live far away, do these things. The close tip would be read the Bible in front of your grandchildren. It's as simple as that. The far away tip would actually be to utilize technology and to text your grandchild a meaningful Bible verse you read and let them know why that might be meaningful to you. You. Now, another uh, indicator of spiritual maturity was actually grandparents that serve. Uh, grandparents that are consistently serving, whether that in their church or maybe at a nonprofit or at someplace around the community, but serving grandparents. And again, witnessing grandparents serving seemed to matter in terms of faith maturity. So uh, what we found was that witnessing serving showed increases in living out day-to-day faith being fully committed to Jesus, which is one of our uh, one, of the, one of the things that was part of our, our survey, of having faith-related discussions for a grandchild to understand their meaning and purpose. There was actually a rise in that and sharing the same faith. There was a 27% increase in faith maturity uh, in the way that a grandchild lives out their day-to-day faith if they see a grandparent serving, which makes a lot of sense, right? Because— The day to day faith of a grandparent and the way they're modeling that and the way they serve, like, is like that, that modeling is important. And so it's translating to their grandkids, 28%, 28% increase in the way it shaped their desire to be fully committed to Jesus, a a grandchild's desire to be fully committed to Jesus. 26% increase in their grandchild knowing their life is filled with meaning and purpose. I mean, these things matter. Like, these are significant things for our grandchildren as they grow up. Uh, A close tip uh, for serving um, would be to serve alongside your grandchildren. Wouldn't it be cool if you were serving at a like a food kitchen or a homeless shelter or you know somewhere around the community serving at your church and you actually serve alongside your grandchildren or a faraway tip might be to uh, take a picture of you serving that day that you were serving and be able to text a picture of you serving to your grandchild um, or send it in the mail. Like maybe you don't have, uh, maybe you don't have a smartphone and or a grandparent doesn't have a smartphone. They can just actually print pictures and send that in the mail and talk about, hey, this was a really meaningful way for the way I served or, um, or meaningful uh, opportunity to be able to serve. And so uh, serving grandparents matter. I remember when I was growing up, I lived two miles away from my mother's parents and about 300 miles away from my dad's parents. And so I was really close to my mom's parents. And they went to a church called the Church of the Good Shepherd uh, on a good Sunday. Maybe we're talking Easter. There's 30 people there. I mean, it is tiny. And there was this little place called Watson Hall. And uh, it was where they, it was kind of like their fellowship hall. And uh, they, had, um, uh, they had a bunch of different things there throughout the week or whatever. And my grandfather, his, his way, the way he served, his task was that he would clean Watson Hall every Saturday and I would go with him and he would have one of those big push brooms and I would stand on the push broom and I would talk to my grandfather and hold on to the broom handle as my grandfather pushed me around and he cleaned Watson Hall. And I have to think, I think to myself that I serve in the church today because of the way that I saw my grandfather serve in the church as I was growing up and just a young child. Another one was uh, faith-conversing grandparents. So grandparents that actually had conversations about faith with their grandchildren. Now, that might seem a little nerve-wracking. Like, you know, you might not feel empowered or equipped or grandparents in your church might not feel empowered or equipped to do this. Uh, But I actually don't think it needs to be difficult. It's not like we're getting preachy. It's just being able to talk about your life experience and talk about the way that Jesus has shaped you. Uh, It's not getting into deep theology. It's just literally saying day to day, this is how I see Jesus in my life. Uh, what we found uh, was some really interesting things. Was that there was a seven percent increase in faith maturity uh, if faith if they were having faith related discussions with grandparents, if they had face to face interactions uh, once per week. Um, and uh, oftentimes that was actually through the dinner table. Now, the way we use technology, because my, my parents and my in-laws don't live close, is that uh, every couple weeks or so, we'll set up our iPad at the corner of our table, and we'll actually have dinner together. And we, so we can't do dinner together in person, but we want to prioritize having dinner and, and, uh, and being with— um, my parents or our kids' grandparents uh, on a regular basis. And so, um, so the dinner table actually mattered. Another one that was super interesting here was that there was a 12% increase um, in faith maturity if, if families actually went on family vacations together at least once a year that's fascinating. Um, And so obviously it's just more time together um, physically and in person. And I think that's why that matters. The other thing that was really interesting was that there was a 12% uh, increase in a grandchild talking with other people about faith struggles if their grandparents had conversations with them about faith. So it was almost as if, a grandchild actually felt more empowered to have conversations with others who were struggling through faith just simply because their grandparents had conversations with them about, uh, about faith in general. And so this led to an increase in grandchildren talking with others about faith struggles. Close tip here would be uh, to share about your faith yourself instead of maybe beginning by asking them about their faith. You know, sometimes it gets awkward. It's like, hey, what's Jesus doing in your life? And the grandchild is like, I don't know how to answer that. Maybe it's actually you just talking genuinely, openly about what Jesus is doing in your life as opposed to maybe expecting them to be the ones who talk uh, first. And then a far away tip would actually be to prioritize family vacation if possible. If that's a possibility and you live far away and you only get to see your grandkids once or twice a year, maybe prioritizing a family vacation um, away might be a really good way uh, to do this. A uh, couple more thoughts that I think are interesting is um, that we actually found that grandparents uh, actually shape more uh, of the identity of a grandchild rather than shaping the spiritual disciplines of a grandchild. Now, I don't have research based on this, but my gut would say that if uh, a child goes to church with their parents, their parents may shape more of the spiritual disciplines um, side of things. But grandparents actually seemed, in our study anyway, to, to shape more of the identity or belonging or purpose, which is a lot of the research that we've done at the Fuller Youth Institute, those kinds of things. Like the inner workings of the soul of a grandchild seem to be shaped Uh, I remember specifically reading about how uh, it it almost seemed like grandchildren um, who uh, have these kinds of relationships with their grandparents actually understand the role of the the Holy Spirit in their lives uh, in a different type of way. So it's more meaning and purpose related as opposed to uh, spiritual disciplines related. And so when you're, you know, maybe talking to your grandparents at your church or you're a grandparent yourself, maybe focus less on the spiritual discipline side of things and more on that shaping of the inner soul of the grandchild, uh, that that might actually be something that you want to do. I would just say that grandparents don't accidentally slip into forming their child or grandchild's faith. You don't just meander into it. You have to be intentional. You have to be deliberate. It makes a difference if you're intentional and if you're deliberate. So I want to I close by telling a story about a couple named George and Norma. Now, George and Norma are not my grandparents. And I know that this is a breakout on leveraging the potential of grandparents. But I want to talk about this because I, I want to talk about how older adults have the opportunity to impact younger people in very, very significant ways. And so there's a Maybe a biological way of looking at grandparenting, but there's also, I think, a surrogate way of looking at grandparenting that grandparents can move into the, or older adults can move into the role of being like a grandparent um, for some uh, for some kids, I grew up in northern Maine, uh, where it's freezing cold and snow all the time. And I had a paper route, and it was the worst. It was just a brutal, brutal job. It was my first job when I was in middle school, and uh, I I had to wake up at five in the morning, uh, and I had to deliver these papers. And in the middle of my paper route was this assisted living facility called Four Seasons Village. And, uh, and so there were a bunch of people on my paper route that uh, were in Four Seasons Village. And so I would go through there, I'd drop off a bunch of papers and I would head out on my paper route and I would come back home. One day I finished my paper route and I got back home and there was a message on the answering machine of, at my house, remember answering machines? And so there's this little blinking red light and I clicked it and it was this woman named Norma. And Norma in like the sweetest voice said, hello, my name is Norma and you forgot my newspaper. And, and I remember thinking in middle, I was this middle schooler, and I was like, I didn't forget our newspaper. Like, there's no way I forgot our newspaper. And so I called this, I called this, this woman back who I'd never met before. I just, I said, hi, I'm Matthew. I'm your paper boy. I didn't forget your newspaper. And she's like, but I think you did. And, and I, I was like, no, I didn't. And, and what this meant for me, if you forgot someone's newspaper or you didn't have enough newspapers is that you actually had to get your parents to bring you to a convenience store or some sort of a store. And you had to buy a newspaper with your own money. It was like 60 cents, which is like 10 weeks worth of work for a paper route, right? And so I I had to go do this and it was a really big inconvenience. And so I had my parents bring me and I uh, went back into Four Seasons Village and I was walking and I had the newspaper with me and Norma greets me at the door and she says, "'Hi, Matthew." She's so kind. And I took the newspaper and I threw it on the ground and I walked off because I'm a jerk. <laughs> it was not a good look. And, uh, and so I walked off and, and Norma says, thanks, Matthew. And I just went on with my day. The next morning, it's 5 a.m. I'm going through Four Seasons Village and who greets me at the door? micromanaging Norma greets me at the door. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? Like, okay, we had this moment yesterday where I forgot the newspaper. You don't need to wake up at five in the morning to make sure that I drop off your newspaper. She says, hi, Matthew. And I put the newspaper in her mailbox and I walk off without saying a word. Two weeks go by. At two weeks, she has roped in her husband, George, to greet me at the door at 5 a.m. She has met me at the door every single day for two weeks and now her husband is greeting me at the door. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And so day after day after day goes by, five in the morning, they're greeting me at the door. And I, uh, and I, I genuinely came to appreciate Georgia Norma over this time. I remember they invited me in and they, and they had made me cookies one day. And so I had conversation with them and I, and I, I just got to know them and they were really nice people. And then I quit my paper route. And, uh, and years later, uh, I am going through my life. I, I, I become a Christian at 18 years old. And um, I remember walking into the doors of this church that I had never been in before. I, I became a Christian at a summer camp. Got, it was connected through this church. I walk into this church and I look across this lobby and who's in the lobby? Micromanaging Norma's in the lobby, and she sees me, and she she runs, or she she comes over to me as fast as she can, um, and uh, she's a walker, uh, and she's she's just hobbling over, and she she looks at me and she says, Matthew, I heard that you became a Christian at summer camp last week, and I said, yeah, I I, I did, I became a Christian, and Norma just starts like weeping, like ugly crying, like it's a little uncomfortable, and I don't know what's happening. And Norma says to me, Hey, do you remember? Do you remember the day that you forgot my newspaper? And I was like, I didn't forget. No, I didn't, I didn't say, I didn't say that. But I, I said, Yeah, I was like, I remember that. And she said, I, I don't know what it was, but I felt like God in my in, in my spirit was just telling me, like, hey, you need to wake up at five in the morning and you need to greet Matthew at the door, and you need to pray for him that one day he would come to trust and believe. In, in Jesus, like this is, this is what she feels like she's prompted to do. And she, she said, every day I would get up at five in the morning and I would greet you at the door. And I would pray for you that one day you would become a Christian. And she said, even after you, even after you quit your paper out, I would still wake up at five in the morning every single day and pray for you that one day you would become a Christian. And as she's weeping, she says, that moment is today. Like that mo- the moment has happened and I'm like losing it. I'm like weeping. Like it's this like beautiful moment here. And, and what was interesting to me, what felt so powerful was that, uh, that George and Norma loved me in my most unlovable moment. Like I didn't deserve to be loved by them. Like I was a huge jerk and they stuck with me And so when I would go home to visit people, uh, George and Norma have since passed, but when I would go home, um, I would visit three sets of people. I I would visit my mom and dad. I would visit my grandparents and I would visit George and Norma. I wouldn't visit the people who I went to high school with. I wouldn't visit the people who were my age. I I would visit older adults who were ahead of me in life who could mentor me, who could walk with me. And George and Norma were a significant, significant piece of my story and my faith development. And the reason why I'm in ministry today is because I was loved in my most unlovable moments. Like, I know that children and grandchildren can be difficult. I I know that it's a different generation than grandparents, and sometimes it's hard. But when we love those who are younger, in their most unlovable moments, it actually has an opportunity to shape them. And so what I would just remind us all is that for us, as older adults, whatever age we are, whether we're parents or grandparents, um, we need to be deliberate because we won't ever slip into shaping someone else's faith.
0: Well, I want to say thank you to Matthew. Now, if you liked this episode, we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And we love this review by Haley. She said, this podcast has truly led me to growth in my journey as a youth leader. It is my go-to resource, and I absolutely love it, and I'm thankful for it. Thanks for the review, Haley. And we'd love for you to join us at Orange Tour to continue learning what it means to lead humans. Go to orangetour.org to save your seat for one of our training events for leaders and volunteers in a city near you. And we'll see you next time on the Think Orange podcast.